This is the Patch Kincaid series, Book One, The Kennedy Paradox. The Kennedy Paradox, Chapter Four, Sector Thirteen, Hastings Mountain, Colorado, July nineteenth, nineteen eighty-six, twelve thirty a.m. Patch, at least try your cell phone. I can't break the silence, Kate. You've been listening to the radio. If something had happened, we would have heard about it. When they arrived in the early morning hours, Sector 13's upper rock peak produced a craggly silhouette against the starry sky. Kate had not turned from the window for at least an hour. Patch slowed at the lighted chain-link gate deep within the evergreen forest. What is this place? Something classified. Well, I guess that. Patch produced his identification card, and although the guards recognized him, they still called Minkowitz on the phone glowing tunnel ahead, carved out of dense, gray-layered rock, sloped downward, and pinpoint halogen lights disappeared underground. It had long been a defense facility within the mountain ridges years ago. On the guard shack's black and white monitor, the animated and disheveled Mankiewicz straightened his thin hair. Guards asked about Kate, and Mankiewicz waved them through. Pat shifted the Suburban along the high barbed wire fence to the lighted tunnel, inside the mountain. Kate stared out the mountain as they descended into the next ledge, passing the bright halogens for several minutes. Another checkpoint boarded the underground garage. Two military guards in white helmets directed them inside. Patch drove the vehicle into an extensive parking area constructed within moisture-laden rocks. How deep are we? she asked as both doors closed in unison, echoing off the rocks. The main tunnel is cut a mile through the inside of the granite. Two 25-ton blast doors shield the complex. Kate held her wrinkled yellow dress above the concrete floor as they passed under the sweeping camera above. Then you're a part of Defense Command. Not exactly. The heavy gray door, embedded in thick concrete, rumbled open. The black stencil above alerted visitors to the 10 by 5 inch clearance. Metal rods lined the inner portion. Five uniformed men approached through the second doors around 30 feet inside. They saluted Patch. Captain, we have a change of clothes for you both, said the brown-eyed kid who stepped forward. Thank you, Sergeant, said Patch, taking the army pack. Then he handed a second pack to Kate. They followed the contingent into the corridor. The floor shook as the rear door closed slowly. You've been ordered to report to UCA, sir. Understood. Behind the soldiers, they passed through the second door and headed through the silver elevators a hundred feet ahead. What's UCA? asked Kate. There's the upper control area and the lower control area, said Patch. My life is full of acronyms. Right, and right now, nuts is one of them, she said with a flat affect. What does that mean? Oh. Sir, said the sergeant, motioning to the white doors adjacent to the elevators. There are rooms over here where you can change. Patch faced her before they went inside. The odds are these people will be caught, and you and I will be in Yosemite tomorrow night. Don't count on it, Captain. As the elevator smoothly traversed the rock tube shaft, Kate's face tightened and her voice inched upward. Is this research or defense? I can't tell you unless Makowitz okays it. If it wasn't for this crisis, they'd never let you within 50 miles of this place. She looked thinner in the camouflage pants and in the army-issue shirt. I don't know if that's good or bad. This place can take a 30-megaton hit. 
two 25-ton blast doors, like I said, shield the complex. Kate peered into his eyes like a lost lamb and then wrapped her arms around him. She said nothing and nestled her head on his shoulder. He gently placed his fingers on her smooth neck. Golden Gate Park in the sunlight with the musicians playing lingered in his thoughts. He stared at the orange digital clock, counting down the time until they had reached UCA. There'll be no Connecticut patch. Well, we don't know that yet. Her moist green eyes swung toward him. You thrive on risk, mixed with this crazy kind of optimism. How could you ever do what you do in this place unless you did think like that? Me? I see things as they are. After a long beep, the doors parted slowly. An assortment of noise filtered into the elevator as if they had entered another floor of a busy department store. UCA technicians in light blue shirts and navy pants spoke through headphone microphones. The expansive monitoring area, rock carved out and now surrounded by a concrete dome, originally detected incoming missiles. Technicians formed the missile tracking systems into data and control stations for Sector 13's time displacement and experiments. More consoles located deeper in the mountain actually controlled the power-up containment fields and the embarking chamber itself. A massive United States wall map cast a blue glow over the complex and a vast array of monitors and remnants from the old days once allowed video conferencing from around the world during a nuclear attack. Across the room, an agitated Mankiewicz held a paper-filled clipboard by his side pointed a finger at the lanky Dan Harrington from Army Intelligence. When he caught sight of Patch, Mankiewicz grabbed his cigar and marched toward the elevators. He had lost most of his graying hair and had flipped the rest over the bald spot. His red paisley polyester tie hung loosely at the collar as he walked. As he approached, he exposed a thin line of stained teeth as his crisp blue eyes disappeared in the cigar smoke. Patch! Glad I got you out of there, he said, giving him a bear hug. We just heard a report confirming there is a device planted somewhere in San Francisco. He stepped toward Kate. You must be Kate. You must be Mankiewicz. I'm sorry we couldn't have met under better circumstances. Patch has told me a lot about you. I assure you, this is a serious situation. Thank your lucky stars you weren't in New York. They may not be in New York by tomorrow morning. Who would do something like this? asked Kate. Patch held his arm. Yeah, who would do something like this, Ray? Mankiewicz removed the cigar from his mouth and held it in his hand as he exhaled. I am not at liberty to speak openly about this, Kate. Would you excuse us? Patch squeezed her wrist and then followed Mankiewicz along the monitors. Mankiewicz spoke in a lower voice. From what we've been able to gather, a consortium of international terrorists are involved here. The core of this group is an organization called the Funeral House Gang. These people are completely immoral, ruthless, and have a long-standing hatred of the United States. Do they have the means to do this? Minkowitz dragged Patch away from the consoles as the wavy, dark-haired Dan Harrington in full brown uniform strutted along the monitors. Patch mouthed the words to Kate, slouching at the outside table. I'm sorry. She nodded and looked scared. Dan, you know Captain Kincaid. He shook Patch's hand. Yes, we met briefly in Texas a few years back at the antique aircraft show. No computers aboard a B-26, said Patch. Heard you were getting married, Patch. His wife is here with him. 
Mankiewicz closed his eyes at the mistake and flashed a quick smile. I'm sorry, his fiance, Kate. Patch lips smiled as Mankiewicz led him and Harrington to the rear monitors. An array of incoming video from around the country with a line like displays in a department store electronics department. You're in Army Intelligence, Dan. Did they send you out here because of this intel? No, this, this was just a routine visit. Mankiewicz bit on his cigar as he panned toward Kate. You know, I introduced my wife once when she was my fiance as my wife. Like I just did with you and Kate. Her mother sent me a scathing letter. I burned it. Never told Lynn. Patch smiled. Country's going up in smoke and Mankiewicz is worried about burning his mother-in-law's letter. A military unit on the New York City monitor assumed positions on the rooftop facing Manhattan skyscraper lights. Well, I hope New York won't go up in smoke, said Mankiewicz. Are they any closer to finding the device, asked Patch. Harrington's face remained flaccid. Head of internal security for the East Coast, Nabak was just kidnapped. When they were done with him, they shot Nabak with an automatic weapon. His body was thrown off the Veranzano Narrows Bridge. Ah, he had a wife and daughter, said Mankiewicz. Bastards. Patch looked at Kate and thought about their friends sleeping in apartments near Central Park. Across the New York Monitor, more Marines scrambled around the roof while the Long Island soldiers remained calm a distance from the city. What is this funeral house gang demanding? asked Patch. Let me give you some background, said Harrington. Harrington sat on the edge of the counter and loosened his top shirt button. It's a group of individuals shed by the old Soviet Union and their former allies before the peace initiatives. They are trained as international terrorists. Their motive isn't money or political pressure. Many of the old power groups say they were humiliated by the United States in the post-Cold War and are now demanding retribution. Then you know who's behind this. Harrington nodded. Two specific individuals, Carlos Sanchez and Eric Bonheim. Carlos is the de facto leader. He's been around a long time. He landed in Cuba with Castro in a small force against Batista in the 1950s. After the revolution, as a hired assassin, Carlos actually murdered a high-profile mafia boss and a CIA agent in the early 60s. Carlos is known as El Leopardo, the Leopard. Later, when Kennedy made peace with Castro, Carlos did not want peace. He was captured and jailed. We still don't know how he escaped to the Sudan. Bonheim, originally from the old East Germany, is equally as ruthless and elusive as Carlos. They joined forces long ago, but the major factor here is former United States citizen Dr. Stephen Higgins. The bomb maker, said Patch. Higgins disappeared off Miami beginning in March of 1961. It was later learned that he was brought to the Soviets at the height of the Cold War. He sold out. I knew of Higgins, said Minkowitz. Fair competency in physics. He and Alexander Moon never got along professionally. Moon left Barton College, right? Asked Patch. He did. Shame, because the man is brilliant, but his brain was fried because of that LSD stuff in France. Getting back to Higgins. He's a lefty Marxist from way back. You think Moon is involved in this? No, Patch. I know for a fact Moon is in Geneva, Switzerland. Forget Moon. Patch stepped back from the screen. Gray, how did they even get the devices into the country? Minkowitz glanced at his clipboard. Bombs were assembled on a Norwegian freighter offshore. In his East Coast position, Nabak was in charge of stopping this in New York. 
somehow there's a device somewhere in the city. Glad you're not in the middle of that mess. Two men, Harris Tilson and Antonio Cabello, have actually transported the plutonium. AKA Andre Mousseau, said Harrington. Mousseau supplied arms to the FHG for years, said Minkowitz. He and Cabello ran guns to Cuba with a guy named Jack LaRue out of Louisiana when Carlos was fighting with Castro from the Sierra Maestra Mountain. The Russians were trying to find out about Zeta 7. Zeta 7 was our classified handle at that time in New Jersey. It's all chaos back in New York. Initially there were reports about barges, but now they're combing the city for an unmarked white cube truck. Bottom line is that detonator may already be set. What about San Francisco and LA? Minkwitz threw the cigar in a metal barrel. Passing comment by two guys on the empty freighter. They mentioned devices arriving in those two cities. Honestly, I think our people are virtually helpless to stop any of this. I don't get it. We have the apparatus in space to intercept anything coming in. This shouldn't have happened. All the MPRs don't matter now because it's an internal threat. Minkowitz spoke first. While Carlos Sanchez's hatred of the United States goes back to the 50s. As I said, he was fighting alongside Fidel in the Cuban mountains against Batista. He was a prison in that old Spanish castle of the Cabana. He violently disagreed with the peace overture of the Kennedy. They should have got him while they had the chance. Carlos did cut a deal with the Russians. Broke out of jail. Minkowitz looked back to the monitors. Now he's come back to roost. So just what do we do about him and the rest of this, asked Patch in a serene voice. There is the possibility of going back in time, should the unthinkable happen. Then maybe you best commence power-up of the chamber, said Patch. Isn't that the original purpose of this project besides pure scientific research? Mankiewicz's bloodshot eyes watered. You're right on the money, Patch. 